1: So, Guy, Nick Mason Sourceful of Secrets, of which we are um, two fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We
0: are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Controls Tour. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I
1: wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then well, I did come up with uh, Nick Mason Sourceful of Secrets. You did, and in fact, that came
0: up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's U Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, Anyway,
1: but enough of that. So, Join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon, and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to, just before Dark Side of the Moon. goes up to 1972, with all the film soundtracks, all the
0: Sid stuff, stuff you've never Man. heard. Stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Echoes, obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, um, you know, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you?
1: Yeah, I never met Magnum. he was. <laughs> Um, Anyway, tickets are on sale now And you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk And Kilimanjaro
0: Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets The Set the Control Tour
1: Hey, how are you? I'm very well, the sun's out, things looking up Yes, they are Um, Yeah, I'm very excited about Richard I know you're,
0: I know, I know Um, As well as a proggy, you're an old folky, aren't you?
1: I I think I just went everywhere I was just, you know, I just sort of ended up getting into all kinds of music as a kid. And uh, and definitely, Fairport was in my, on my vinyl list. No,
0: they absolutely were. but And it was very prevalent, wasn't it? It was just kind of very much around. Although I remember being very, I mean, I remember one of the first singles I ever bought was Te" by Steel Ice Band. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It was probably shunned by most serious folk. Yeah, fans. absolutely.
0: That was, um, bu- you know, was bubblegum folk, even though it was actually in Latin. <laughs>
1: I, 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 I went to a grammar school and I was invited to join the Morris dancing group. That was a sort of, you know, post school group that had got together with a bunch of kids and the economics teacher, but I oh, you <laughs> didn't go the full bells. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do it, but- but You yeah, like- joined
0: the Morrissey dancing troupe instead where you just had to wave tulips around.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you may hear later about my, you know, influences in the folk music. I'm sure, um, we anyway. Oh. Yes, so uh,
0: let's get him on. Mr. Richard Thompson, welcome to The Rock on Tours.
1: Okay, guys, I'm ready.
0: This was great, guys. I, I, it's so great to talk to two guys that have done this. But it's a big tune, for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of
1: course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know What people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. I've listened to a few of them, and they've been really good, man. I've sitting in the back of the car coming into London, they're brilliant. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the ten thousand hours of experience? Oh yeah, you yeah too, too get yeah, good yeah. at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about fifty hours.
0: The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt.
2: Hello, Gary. How you doing?
0: <laughs> Hello, Richard.
2: Hello. This is um, nice.
0: This Isn't... is very nice. Looks very cozy where you are. Lots of posters.
2: <laughs> cozy. Uh, it's it's the sort of the junk room really. Uh, we're we're just redecorating. I've been uh, slapping a few coats on and... um,
0: Oh, you do it yourself? Of
2: course. (laughs) Proper bloke, you know. Have you moved back to London? Uh, I've always kept a place here. So, um, you know, the plan is to spend more time here now uh, because I I sort of miss it and I I love being here. So uh, I have to work in America, you know, quite a lot. But um, this always feels like home to me.
1: Where was your pandemic, though?
2: Uh, Mostly in New Jersey which is, uh, you know, not the most exciting place to be locked down, I suppose, but uh, one got by, one got by.
0: Did it inspire any writing? I mean, it's, it's I can't think of it, it's a fantastic folky thing to write about as some great plague. <laughs> <Local>. <laughs> 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 uh,
2: well, yeah, I, I mean, I did a lot of writing, I, uh, nothing about lockdown at all. I, I, I just, uh, it, I mean, it's just a nice, to be able to have uh, all that time, you know, with it without, other things to distract you and uh, I, I wrote a lot of stuff but it was mostly just coming out of my imagination it was nothing really about you know being in prison or anything you know or, or you know, or <laughs> being in the middle of a sort of bubonic lockdown. Right.
1: <laughs> you, went, you went to live in America quite a while ago now you sort of Americanized yourself it's it's nice to have you back. Oh yeah. thank you very much thank you. What part of London are you from Gary? I, I grew up in Islington on Essex Road. Uh, Oh, Essex Road, of course. Yeah. I I went to a school called Dame Alice Owens, which is the, you may have heard of, I don't know, it's the grammar school up at the Angel. I think we played you at rugby, didn't we? (laughs) I definitely wasn't playing at rugby at any given time (laughs) at that school. I was doodling on my guitar. That would have
0: been a bombshell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. But basically, I'm I'm
2: back. I've got a place in Hampstead uh, that I've had for, uh, you know, before when it was affordable. but about thirty-five years now. So, uh, in spite of all my peregrinations, um, that this that does feel like uh, like home.
1: And, and the book's been so well received. I mean, Guy and I have loved it. We've been talking. Yeah. About, oh, yeah. bless you. Thanks you so much. Thank you. I, I, you never thought, probably, when that young man was that shy young man was going to be talking about his life endlessly all these data <laughs> and
0: is the reason for uh, that the fact that it sort of basically ends at 75 then we get this thumbnail sketch of everything since then does that mean there is going to be a volume 2 or
2: well i really don't know um you know i stopped in 75 because musically i, I kind of stopped for a year and i ran an antique shop um oh, and I love uh, that. it was hard to see um you know where music was heading at that point um you know my my audience has kind of frittered away a bit and uh It wasn't until punk came along that that, you know that simultaneously helped to destroy the rest of my audience and and also inspire me to think.
0: I was going to say that because that's something that comes up in your book, which I thought was really nice. Which is that as opposed to a lot of your contemporaries, even though because you were that sort of crucial few years younger, but you saw punk as a thing of hope rather than. Well,
2: it was a re-energizing of of, of the music scene. I I mean you know, music in the seventies was, uh, you know, a lot, you know, sort of glam rock, um, uh, metal, uh, um, you know, uh, prog rock. You know, uh, none of which I really cared for, um, and I, I couldn't really see where I was going except maybe back to the folk clubs or something. Um, yeah, you know, I couldn't, couldn't see the future, but 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 punk was this real uh, reconnecting with the basic roots of rock and roll. You know, it was it was it was like. You know, Sun Records or, or something like that—a bit cruder, I suppose—but but it had the same energy.
0: A very—I you know, mean, when you had the Clash doing the English Civil War,
2: and you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, fantastic. You know, then you know the the, the pog doing that—the kind of you know the right. folk version of punk. Um, so it was uh, for me, it was like a signpost really to to get back out there.
1: Well, I, th- I suppose there is a connection with folk in that it was you know English kids singing about political issues at their time about not having work I mean there was a sort of sense of post industrial revolution lyrics
2: yeah absolutely I think that's absolutely correct and and uh, I think music has always um, spoken to those issues especially music uh, of the underclass the working class whatever you want to call it so th- that would have been called folk music traditional music uh, and with punk you know it was the same thing you know it was supposedly working class kids uh, expressing you know their frustration at uh, you know at the world you know Thatcherite britain
1: a lot a lot of what you were saying earlier about music you didn't care for actually it's funny enough punk is as well had a theatrical element to it yeah mm. it's about the performance which is something you know growing up even though i i loved your records <laughs> i could see there was a complete shyness about about Performance with with Fairport and with the folk scene. Maybe maybe later with with, with Steely Spann, there was an element of that mm. thrown in, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Because you know you think per, folk music, you know, with Morris dancing and 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 that sort of dressing up that went on. You've always shied away from the idea of a, a performance for you. It's been about the music.
2: I think that came more out of uh, Fairport. But Being a band around the uh, the London under- underground scene, you know, the psychedelic scene in, in sort of '67, where um, you know it it wasn't that visual really. It, it was mostly about the music. You know, Pink Floyd at that point were we just uh, you know a, a band of fairly faceless people, um, but behind a light show, you know, behind all, all all the bubbles and ripples of a light show, so. Uh, uh, you know, soft machine, you know, but people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Arthur Brown was more theatrical. But but you know, most bands around that scene um, would, would have said, you know, it's a bit distasteful. You know, you're pushing yourself a bit too much if, if you if you have any kind of theatricality. And, and I mean, the reality about traditional singers is um, that they, they were theatrical. You know, the, 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 they get up in the pub and 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 they they used lots of gestures. You know, or, or, you know, they they kind of sell the song. In, in in that sense um so uh you know I, I think if we were shy then it's because we were shy people mm. um uh if we thought a bit more about it if we if we had a more of a visual sense then we, i think we would have um turned to that a bit more but i think i think we just passed us by really
0: but it's funny because you talk about being shy before and you know that thing of being shy as a performer but mm. you're from listening to all your live stuff and from when I saw you, I saw you at the festival hall, um, 2010. In fact, we briefly met backstage. Um, yeah, yeah, and, um, but, and you are really, really particularly good at bantering with your audience. So you do actually Um, really have that talent of connection.
2: Yeah. As soon as I started playing like solo acoustic, uh, mostly as, um, as, as a way of paying the rent, actually as a necessity, uh, you know, I was I was opening for bands like Crowded House, you know, um, on, on these huge North American tours. Uh, and Crowded House's audience were like 13, 14. I'm thinking, shit, <laughs> yeah, I'm going on like naked solo in front of all these kids, mostly girls, you know. Um, so I, I, th- I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to attack the audience. I, I'm I'm going to borrow, um, you know, the, the personas of a couple of musicians I know. I'll, I'll borrow Danny Thompson's persona. I'll borrow uh, right, Pat right. Donaldson's persona. You know, sort of loud, aggressive people. And I'll, I'll just harangue the audience. I'll, I'll just shout at them, and I'll get on top of them because <laughs> uh, otherwise I'm just going to die. And it actually worked. Um, so, so I I'd end up with getting some, some nice applause from these, you know, thirteen-year-old girls. Thank you very much. And um, <laughs> and it kind of stayed with me. And and then um, I, I started to feel very comfortable on stage as a solo performer. And um, it, I found it very easy to, to to have a kind of a dialogue with the audience uh, should that um, situation
1: arise. Because there's some wonderful contradictions about your character, which we can get into later, which which <laughs> you know, I see you as a as a very joyful person, you know, and I've ever looked at interviews with you and, and seen you on stage doing that. And yet lyrically, you can go to the darkest places, I think any hmm. British lyricist has been. Yeah. And 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 I just, you know, that tug and pull of that is is interesting. But but we should go back, Richard, if you don't mind to sure the beginnings of your influences musically and and because it's, it's so diverse much more diverse than most british rock players that we've spoken to
2: hmm. well you know, you know i grew up in the house with uh, you know my, my father's records which were mostly jazz and uh scottish music interesting combination right there um and then my sister's records, uh, my sister was five years older than me, and she was getting into rock and roll from the very beginning. So, you know, Bill Haley was in the house and Elvis was in the house. And then lots of Buddy Holly, lots of Gene Vincent, lots of Jerry Lee. And uh, to me, that this was like an awakening, that this was music not just for teenage Brits, you know, who were rebelling against the the, uh, the kind of post-war depression almost, Um but, but but it really spoke to me as well as, as like a 5 and 6 year old i, I thought this music's fantastic wow. you know the, the, this this the energy you know the, the the message you know was so important so i suppose um i've ended up with this sort of synthesis of of, of musical styles you know that there's a bit of jazz in there there's a bit of uh uh, rock and roll, and there's a bit, a bit of uh, Scottish Celtic music in there too. Django. Yeah, Django's in there, you know, as, as well as, you know, Jimmy Shand, and um, whoever you are as an as instrumentalist, you, you know, you, you are that kind of sum total of your influences, and, um, you, you know, for, for me, um, yeah, you know, Django Reinhardt, you know, which is my father's music really, Les Paul, you know, we're, we're never really on the front burner, it was just something in there, um, but but it wasn't that important, the important stuff was, was you know, Hendrix or, or you know, they're listening to to you know the 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 birds or something, but but I, I think it just crept in there and um you know there, there is this synthesis of styles that that um you know it, it's kind of unique to me and I think every every guitarist has their own uh, unique synthesis you know Bert Yance Davey Graham all, all these great acoustic players Martin Carthy you know will, will have their own unique. Uh, style and it's it's what makes them special.
0: Your first electric guitar when you was a jazz guitar, wasn't it? You didn't go straight to like a Les Paul or a...
2: pretty much yeah, I, I think yeah. um I, I, th- I think I really liked um the guitar player in in Moby Grape, uh, Jerry Miller, who had a big jazz um Gibson and I thought well, well that that's pretty cool. He has 175
0: Yeah, he gets, a, he, five, so yeah, he
2: gets ones, a great yeah. tone and you know, that guitar so so perhaps that's what I should be doing. But um after a while, um, it became a bit unwieldy for for, uh, for rock music, really, and, and I realized that a lot of my heroes, my, my guitar heroes, were actually Fender players. You know, uh, people like Jimmy Bryant, um, James Burton. You know, where, where we're playing Fenders. I thought, well, mm-hmm. th- that should be what I'm doing.
1: Your style with that flat picking, playing with the plectrum in, and and your fingers that yeah. you you hit that right from the get go, didn't you? That was you know, what,
2: I, yeah, I think so. It, it's something that I, I really did unconsciously because I, I learned finger style. I learned classical finger style and also learned pletum style. And I'd, I'd be sitting at home watching TV, you know, absentmindedly strumming away. And and, and I realized um, that, that I was actually playing with my fingers and and the thumb pick uh, and the, the flat pick, I mean, sorry, at the same time. So and that just developed as a, as a thing without me thinking about it. It's weird.
1: Um, it's just out of laz- laziness, really. What you were saying about you know that mm. post-war generation, and your your you know your parents coming out of the war, you know there was a sense of wanting order again in 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 life. I mean, I I sort of witnessed this. I'm a, younger than you, but you know mm. it was they wanted to be together. They wanted a you know everything to be formal and ordered, and that caused the spark of the revolution, didn't it really?
2: I think it really did, yeah. Plus, um, you know, you, you had the impetus of of, uh, of of a boom generation, you know, the, the baby boomers. Uh, there were lots of them, you know, and culturally they really mattered and they continue to matter. I mean, right up to now, pretty much, you know, they've influenced musical taste, they've influenced artistic taste all, all the way. Yeah, our parents went through a terrible time during World War II and... You know, inevitably, that they wanted to settle down after the war. You know, get a house, you know, raise a family, all that stuff. And and you listen to, you know, the, to your parents' popular music from the early fifties or something, and it's all about, you know, um, twenty tiny fingers, twenty tiny toes. You know, those sort of songs. You know, it's about sort of raising a family, and and uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but it's kind of bland music. You know, the sort of the, the cogan generation. You know,
0: because yeah, because you were in bands very very young, weren't you?
2: I think that's probably from about the age of 12, yeah. Um, with
0: Hugh, <laughs> with Hugh with Cornwell. Cornwell, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Hugh and I were great friends at school. You know, he, um, you know, he, he wanted to, to to play an instrument. So I, I taught him the bass, you know, and uh, we had our little trio at school with, with uh, Nick Jones, who was the son of Max Jones at, at the Melody Maker. But we had our little sort of power trio going, and that was great And right until... Um, I started playing with the Fairport guys at about sort of uh, 65, 66.
0: Did you stay in touch with him after that or throughout? Did we,
1: Were you aware? Of- I,
2: I, I really didn't. Uh, he, he went off to Scandinavia, I think, um, uh, for, for a few years. And uh, I was busy on the road. I, I didn't run into him uh, for years and years and years. And then I think 40 years after our last conversation, I, I ran into him uh, at a festival in Spain. And, uh, oh, hi, there you are. <laughs> I mean, kind of... You know, picked up the conversation where we'd left it in 1967, um, uh, and we've been in touch ever since, which is great.
0: And he, he played at your seventieth, didn't he? He did,
2: yeah, yeah. lovely. That was yeah. a
0: fantastic show. But I've just been watching it on YouTube. Amazing.
2: That's hilarious. Well, we we, we we did a great version of Peaches just just for, just for fun, you know. Uh,
1: you gathered at this house, which was called Fairport,
0: right in Maswell
2: Hill. Yeah.
1: Wait,
0: has it got a blue plaque?
2: It hasn't because got a blue it really plaque. It no.
0: should have.
2: Uh, I went around there the other day and. Uh, Uh, for this BBC thing you know and and, uh, we knocked on the door and and this guy says oh yeah you know a lot of people come around here asking about the house you know and he said "Uh, you you know he bought it but probably just after we vacated actually and he's been there ever since and he said yes you know the the original owner was a guy called Dr Monroe and my my heart sort of stopped because there was a ghost at the house uh, called Dr Monroe Oh. you know the, 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 he was like haunting the, the house still how did you um, know his name? Uh, uh, someone else spoke to him it wasn't me oh, but, wow. but, but someone else who was staying in the house uh, spoke to this guy and he, and he was he was upset about the cat like he'd locked the cat in the cupboard or something and um, and the cat had died and, and he felt guilty about that. So, someone should oh my go God, in for eternity. <laughs> well, yeah, or, or until someone goes in and exercises him <laughs> yeah. and gives <he> <laughs> him a bit of peace and quiet. But um, that, was, uh, that, was, that was pretty interesting. <laughs> was
1: Muswell, Muswell Hill had a sort of a scene, didn't it? You know, with kinks came from up there as yeah, well. Yeah, did, did, yeah. You know, did you bump into them? Was that? Well,
2: well, it's, it's like that they'd already gone by the time that, that we were starting up, you know. Um, I, I suppose uh, we used to go and see the kinks uh, when they were called the Ravens. at at the youth local youth club. Um, but really, you know, that they were, you know, a whole musical generation, like, like four years, five years ahead of us. Um, which is an eternity when you're that age, It's an eternity, it? exactly. Yeah. So, so, so by the time we were gigging around, uh, the Kings had really moved on and were, you know, a very successful pop group and, and were playing, like, big places. You know, and we were playing at, uh, you know, Middle Earth or something.
1: Oh, listen, we, we have to talk about all that. But, but who did you want to be at that point? What band were you aiming for? Cause, I mean, obviously, there's, there's a, definitely a West Coast Americana that's, mm-hmm. that's already in, in your early music yeah uh, what was your ambitions um probably to, to be a band
2: uh that 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 uh focus on lyrics um we really love lyrics uh you know for us it was really important when dylan went electric um uh you know the the, the the birds recording mr tambourine man the bells of rimney um things like that um we thought this is what we want to do so we would uh, cover songs by uh the great singer songwriters, really. Uh, and at that time that was Richard Farina, Phil Oakes, hmm. uh early Joni Mitchell. We got hold of her, her acetates. Um uh the Dylan Basement tapes, we got hold of those. I think we we were first to the uh, Yeah, that's
0: quite amazing to, to get album. hold to, to to get hold of that stuff. <laughs> How? Yeah.
2: Uh well, well, well we phoned up Dylan's publisher, man. We said, Have you got any unpublished Dylan songs? I said, Oh yeah, yeah, come on over. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave us this pile of, of like 12, um, 12 acetates of, of uh, the basement tapes. And, and we did the same thing with Joni Mitchell. Before she'd made a record, uh, we got hold of her, her demos from her publisher. We, we just phoned them up. It was easy.
0: It, 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 j- jumping ahead. Well, that, that shows actually great kind of sort of initiative, though.
1: <laughs> <I> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You looked in, uh, didn't you have a little sneak into Joni Mitchell's lyric book? at one point oh,
2: yeah. well I did yeah uh we we did a show with with Joni at the the festival hall when she was opening for us I'm sure that never happened again um and <laughs> uh, and uh well, well while she was on the stage you know I was, I was walking past the her dressing room and I and I just saw her notebook like line I thought I just have a little just have a little peek because I, I, I was really interested in um other people's process you know um you, you know how writers write, you know, did, and it's something where you wrote standing up at the typewriter, so, you know, that, that kind of thing. That's that's what sort of stuff really intrigues me, and so I, I just thought I'd, I'd get some insight into her process, um, and I suppose I did. I, I just thought that that um, she was obviously like, like a very strong visual artist as well as as a musical artist, and 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 you could really see that in in her, in her writing and her doodles and, and stuff. Like just looking oh, wow. looking at a page of of, uh, of what she did was. Uh, Extraordinary interesting,
0: actually, yeah. Oh, of course, now you've just been able to get a picture on your phone. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> That's a terrible thing, terrible thing. Sorry, I would never, never. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, but covers, covers were really where you were at that time then, wasn't it? You weren't, you seeing yourself as a songwriter with Richard at that point?
2: No, I, I mean, uh, if we're talking 67, then we were a covers band um, to the point where um, we, we thought, you um, Shit, uh, we need to write some songs because uh, we noticed um, that in order to have credibility w- 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 with the audience, you had to be writing at that point. I mean, you know, thanks to the Beatles, I think more than anything else, yeah. the, the Beatles really changed the landscape. Uh, it used to be, you know, the, the writers wrote for, for the for the artists, you know, and the artists would perform. It, it was a separate thing uh, in many cases. But, but when the Beatles came along, they they, they, they did everything themselves. So you know, the Stones had to start writing, uh, and all the other bands had to start writing their own stuff. So um, you know, by '68, by our second album, we were pretty much writing at least half our albums at that point. Um, and, uh, and I suppose we didn't look back.
0: Now, there's something about these first two albums I want to which listening to them because I think with the gigs you were playing, hmm. was your audience? You were you were playing folk clubs and stuff as well, weren't you? As well as just
2: um, a sort of straight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, but probably, but by sixty-seven, when we got an agent, we we were just doing rock gigs. But but certainly, you know, proto Fairport, you know, Fairport before it's called Fairport, we, we did uh, a lot of folk clubs, you know, folk but, clubs, blues clubs. I mean,
0: everything. Because because uh, the, the thing is, those first two, hours, especially the first one, listening mm. to it now with, with all the with, with everything else that was happening at the time, they sound so incredibly mature and assured and beautifully right. recorded, amazingly recorded. For the time I mean, the sounds they're sonically fantastic. And I just wondered if, if 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 you'd been playing to more of a folky audience, so rather than kind of manic pill popping mods or screaming girls, <laughs> that kind of that that gave you that more level approach to recording. Because you you know it it sounds like it's like your sixth album or something. Um
2: I think- Anyway, If I listen to the first album, it sounds to me all over the place, you know, stylistically, you know, there are so many threads, mm. there are so many influences that, that it's almost too much. Uh, um, and by the second album, we're starting to iron that out a bit uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a better uh, way. Um, I, I I don't, um, yeah, I, I suppose, um, you know, the, I mean, the, the recording quality is down to John Wood, who is a wonderful, engineer and a great yeah, studio. He stayed
0: with you for so long, didn't he? You, you yeah, yeah, I mean, traveled
2: I mean, with him. I, I, mean, I mean, he was the best, you know, and, and, and Sound Techniques was a, is a really wonderful studio. And they also built their own mixing desks. So, so you had this really unique sound and, um, uh, you know, the mixing desks are, are changing hands for lots of money these days, mm-hmm. you know,
1: an original Sound Techniques desk. You should talk about Joe Boyd, really, who's involved with yeah. this period and which season. And, you know, it's funny enough, because I'm reading your book, it it obviously it's all tied in but it reminded me because it deals in a particular corner of the music industry which we're not always looking at yeah um and and white white bicycle i think was was joe's book I'm, I'm yeah, like, yeah mm-hmm. i also you know really enjoy so you've got the incredible string band you've got mm-hmm. um, nick drake and this little cohort and pe- gr- a group of people that he's beginning to form but also let's talk about him as you know this is the the kid who fronted the UFO club and, and helped invent Pink Floyd and psychedelia. So just, just describe what's going on with Joe Boyd and your, and that world.
2: Yeah. uh, Joe was someone who always seemed to be in the right place at the right time, uh, musically speaking. Uh, um, But when he was at Harvard, uh, he was booking people like Lonnie Johnson, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Mississippi, Fred McDowell. He was bringing these blues artists up from Mississippi on the train, you know, uh to, to 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 play at Harvard. I mean it's just ridiculous. Uh, he, he was the stage manager when um D- Dylan went to electric at Newport. Um,
1: I didn't know that. Yeah, no, <laughs> I didn't know that.
2: That. <laughs> uh, he was um he he was uh, head of electric in the UK this is when he's like 23 years old which is pretty good. Um, so so he's running Electra and he's he's recording the incredible string band for Electra he's telling Electra you should really sign this band called Pink Floyd you should really sign this band called The Move Electra's saying no I don't think so no we don't want to Um, their loss i think um <laughs> and uh joe you know was probably you know the only person in london who would, would have had the ears to, to really uh, understand what what fairport were trying to do uh, and what the incredible stream band were trying to do i mean who else would have signed the incredible stream band
0: yeah they sound uh, like an impossible proposition of the amount of people and
2: <laughs> absolutely, well, it's basically two of them you know plus right. two two girlfriends who'd play you know anything from bass to finger symbols and um and then they added the dancers and it all got a bit so out of control.
1: The best, the best album front cover, I've, I think, in the history of album front covers is that group of weirdos. That's <laughs> cover, which, in a way, I think you tried to slightly emulate in that gatefold of the um, of, with uh, the album after Legion Leaf. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, oh, no, no. Sorry. Uh, no, yes. I, sorry.
0: I was the wrong way around. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, but it, that that scene looked looked incredible at you know, that time.
2: Well, it's it's very much of its time, isn't it? I mean, it's an you know, absolute bunch of uh, of hippies, uh, and uh, yeah, the, the Inquis lived up in Edinburgh in this sort of almost like communal uh, uh, existence, um, and it was really uh, a strange world up there, you know. But the yeah, UFO friend. club, just you know, that's the I, club, yeah. um,
1: I don't, I don't know where I'm connecting what Sid's doing uh, lyrically and 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 vocally with you guys who are doing you know a, a more Americana, but it all seemed to work in the pot at UFO.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean UFO, you, you had all the psychedelic bands. Yeah, no, Family were a great band. Blossom um, First were a great band. And, and Pink Floyd were basically the house band at, at, at the UFO club, oh. uh, um, and. Uh, well, one of Fairport's early gigs, I mean, we'd only been in existence a couple of months, uh, was to open for Pink Floyd. But that was the night that, that, that Sid pretty much left the band uh, and the planet
1: i think that your memory is either incredible or you have diaries from all that period because some of the list of gigs and what went on is, is so detailed what, what was or it? you've
0: just taken your brilliant storytelling abilities from your songs and applied them to your life
2: and i'm making it all up could <laughs> yeah. be um, no i mean my memory is very selective i mean some stuff you know i'm i'm sure you know you might be the same but you remember really really clearly yeah, uh, and other stuff it is a blank, I, and I I can compare notes with old band members from the '60s and say, do you remember this? And they'll say no, and they'll say, do you remember this? And I'll say no. <laughs> so so yeah, really selective. So, so um, the, the book would have been three times longer if I could remember everything. I, I did not keep diaries or journals. Alas, I wish to God I had. It would have made it so much easier. So I had to rely on on uh, you know websites that claim to have every fairport gig that ever happened you know um claim to have you know my, my old agent's books and stuff um but but they're also incomplete i mean so um it took a lot of uh gluing it all together
0: but do you find that because i we've all written books here so uh, oh, but do you problem. find there's a thing of where you're convinced that like you know yeah this was in belgium on that week and then you're told that it wasn't <laughs> you're like <laughs> yeah oh, um- i'm sure there's that-
2: I, I, I mean i found this all the time actually um mm-hmm. the 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 people remembered things very differently and I think you just have to trust your own uh, uh memory really um I'm pretty sure I'm right about most things
1: ha <laughs> 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 i just i just um I love this little shift that goes from where, where youth culture, pop culture goes from UFO to middle earth. And there is a, there is a kind of, glim- I know middle earth is kind of known now as being the sort of birth of glam rock in a way, yeah. was, you know, Bo- Bowie was there and, 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 and T-Rex. but mm. actually, if you look at that early Tyrannosaurus Rex, there's a, it's a guy singing with an English accent yeah. in a mystical way that has a spirituality about it that is kind of folky. They're sitting on the floor. Yeah. So there yeah. was there was this diversion at that point then where some people some people went glam rock and others stayed in folk.
2: I think Mark Boulton was always um, you know more in the pop world almost. I, I think it was, it was a problem. Uh, you know John's Children, uh, which is his band, right. I think before T Rex. You know were, we're more like a pop band. Uh, T Rex might have been just a economics where he said okay well, i'm just gonna you know two of us will play acoustic uh, and we'll earn some money for a change um yeah that, that may have been the motivation i don't know but but
1: um he was a uh, mod he would have been into show
2: yeah, yeah. I, I, but you know the, the I, I thought they were charming you know uh yeah i, I really liked him as a human being i, I thought he was just, just a really nice guy you know just a nice human being um and it, it was tragic uh to hear that he'd been killed It really really broke mm-hmm. my heart
0: because one band that seems to come up a lot in your book, which I never really thought of as being, is the Social Deviants.
2: <laughs>
0: that that was Mick Brown, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, they were always around. And I think because they were very politically motivated, um, they'd be everywhere. You know, they'd be at all gigs. They'd be at all benefits. Um uh, you know, you, you'd see them all over the place, and they were a very uh, confrontational band. They were kind so of a up punk, for a
0: sort punk. of MC5 vibe,
2: exactly. Right? Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it was kind of you know, you know, screw you, screw the audience, screw everybody. Um, you know, we're up here making a statement.
1: Um, they were punk before punk.
2: Um, yeah, in a sense they were, except that I, I think punk communicated something a, a bit clearer. Um, and I think the deviants, uh, were, as performers, that the message got, got a bit scrambled, you know. Um,
1: let's anyway. let's let's talk about you know you, you, your second album, you, you know, the holidays album, and you writing, suddenly writing this. How old are you now? You're only sort of 17, 18, 19, 19, right? Okay. Me on the ledge, which is still yeah, yeah. to this day the Fairport anthem. It's still sung by thousands of people every year when they can go to festivals. That's true. Uh, what, you know, what brought that up? On? It's one of the first songs you ever wrote, isn't it?
2: Well, I think it's the first thing I ever wrote solo. Um, you know, I'd done... I'd probably done, written half a dozen songs as collaborations before that. Um, you know, I was just writing, you know, uh, something without thinking too much about what I was writing. Um, I could interpret it now in various ways, but, but at the time, I, I was just... Uh, you know string in words together that, that that sounded good but but there's obviously you know uh, uh that there, there's some purpose behind the song um but as you say i mean people now sing it in this sort of anthemic way and it, it it's not my property anymore it becomes somebody else's i i'm sure yeah you've had this the same feeling gary where, where a song kind of goes out there and and it's just you don't own it anymore you know people take it over and uh and it's out there in the world. And if you wanted to change verse three, it's, it's too late. It's gone.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think I think actually, what what has made that song such a success is it is its ambiguity. You know, people yeah, sing the funeral because they think, oh, you know, meet on the ledge is actually this place in heaven that we're all going to suddenly get back together again. But it's a sense, it's me on the ledge doesn't really mean, it can mean a different thing to different people. It's about unity. It's about coming together as a group of people. You no. know, we had um, Noel Gallagher on and I think actually it's, it's Wonderwall. Wonderwall doesn't mean anything e- either. <laughs> but it, it's a sense, you know, people all sing it together because you're my Wonderwall. That's part of the beauty of, of songs sometimes is then they don't yeah. have to be totally detailed. They need to have that ambiguity of spirituality.
2: Well, I think absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's the kind of the, it's the poetical end of songwriting, if you feel like. That 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 you can use language in a way that goes beyond logic. You know, and it, it, it goes beyond meaning, uh, and 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 that's the whole idea. Uh, uh, so, uh, it, it's great that that particular song uh, can be so open to interpretation. Yeah.
1: This episode of Rock On Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive
0: and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly
1: bacteria, antioxidants and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the
0: road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare, AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste.
1: It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians,
0: F1 drivers and the rock So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription.
1: Go to drinkag onecom dot slash rockonters. That's drinkag onecom dot slash rockonters. Check it out. Can we talk about just meeting Sandy Denny because that was such a yes, a massive moment. Yeah, you. absolutely. <laughs> and, and who who was she? Because you know she's so iconic now. Um. Wow. Um. Well, she, she had a
2: reputation on the folk scene as being this up and coming, you know, singer songwriter. And uh when uh, uh Judy l- left Fairpool, uh, we said, well, well um, you know, let, let's audition people, you know. And, and Sandy was on the on the list. She was about number three or four on the list. And uh after after a couple of not very impressive um uh, auditioners, uh, you know, she she came in and just, you know, um lifted the roof off. I mean, she was such a, a great singer. Um in so many ways a great singer um you know great emotion in her voice uh, slightly elusive quality to, 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 to a song um she could she could interpret a song very quickly she could just nail a song uh, the intention of a song um uh yeah one one of the greatest singers i've ever heard really and she, uh, she
0: auditioned you as well didn't she um, well fair enough yeah, yeah. fair enough yeah <laughs>
2: um I, I think you know because she was joining a band she wanted to see. You know the value of 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 our music. uh, See if there's something that she liked about us. So uh, it was a kind of a mutual audition in the end. Yeah, that that was great. Um, But but she she was, um, you know, fantastic musician, great songwriter, um, very original songwriter, and um, you know, a bundle of contradictions as a human being. You know, like a bundle of nerves and and, you know, confident and not confident. uh, you, you know, um, some men like went nuts over her, but but she didn't want those. She wanted the other ones. You know, it's, it's just a,
1: a a real mixture, a
2: real mixture. God bless
1: her. <laughs> yeah. Because what she brought in was more English folk, and uh, or and or British folk. Yeah. And so that that Unhalf Bricking album that sort of kind of goes two ways. I mean, I know there's people fight all the time. You know, Legion Leave Unhalf Bricking, That's the best one. This is the best one. <laughs> But I think there's still, for me, there's, 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 um, that you're not quite clear on the direction you're about to go in at this point. You're still mm-hmm. half in Dylan's world and, and half in this old pre industrial revolution world, you know. That Brit- yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, um, she brings that in, does she? Is, is, is it her gift? Uh, you know, well, uh, well, we'd
2: always played in folk clubs that we always, you know, it's, uh, you know, messed around a little bit with, uh, British traditional music. So, so it wasn't alien to us. Uh, but when Sandy came in the band, um, we didn't have a lot of rehearsal time. So, you know, she was trying to learn our repertoire and we thought, well, we should learn some of hers. Um, and then, you know, we'll have enough for a set. And so uh, we kind of wrap ourselves around, um, you know, she moved through the fair, um, so things like that in Ottoman town. Um, and, you know, at some point on the Legion Leaf album, uh, we're sitting backstage, you know, just messing around and Sandy starts singing A Sailor's Life. Um, which I think she'd learned from Martin Carthy. And uh, we said, well, that, that, that's a great song. You know, well, we could really do a nice arrangement of that, you know, because it's very droney. We can put a drone under it uh, and we can play something instrumental on it. So we, 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 we said, well, we'll let, let's just play it tonight without any rehearsal. We'll just get up on stage and we'll do it. And so we did that and we thought, well, that that went very well. Let's record it. And we recorded it in one take and, and it's a kind of a magical take. It's one of those really l- lucky things that happens in the studio sometimes where everything just clicks and, and there are surprises for the people playing, you know, not, not just for the listeners. But as we're playing it, we're, 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 we're surprising ourselves all the time. We're thinking, well, that, that didn't happen before. Where did that come from? You know, well, all these little things keep kicking in um and uh, to me it's, it's a re- really it's just just a magical track that that really cemented for us the the idea that this should be the direction that Fairport goes in
1: and it's just a timeless track as well because it, you know it doesn't sort of sit into oh that's very sounds very late 60s it doesn't say <laughs> that now it's it has a modernity about it because of the drone I think that, that whole on. period yeah those albums have dated
0: fantastic well I must be I've been lost in Legion Leaf for the last couple of weeks and I've forgotten so it is a masterpiece it's incredible well, uh, well <laughs> i don't know as... about that but anyway thank you okay you have you have your are ambivalent um
2: oh gosh yeah with, with uh, albums i've been involved in always yeah uh because um there's things um you think well we could have done that a bit better could have you know why did so and so do that there you know there's little things i mean I, you know i like the records generally overall but but I'm, I, I go more song by song I, you know I, i'm half bricking right. I, I think of almost like a like a a three or four track album you know that there, there are tracks on it that i, I could happily lose that almost like throwaway tracks but there's absolutely great tracks on it i think it's i think it's a four track lp in in that sense um an EP, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. It would have been a, a monumental EP. And uh, Legion Leaf, you know, I, I, you know, I think well, well what if we'd done this song instead of that song? You know, that there are things where I think we went kind of overboard on 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 the really big ballads. Um, we should have done oh, right. smaller songs as well. I, I mean, Legion Leaf should have been a double album, really, because um, I think we had that much material.
1: I wish it was. That's it. Yeah. Are there tapes?
2: <laughs> Are there tapes? Nothing no, zero.
1: No. <laughs> it's one of the most horrific parts in the book. And God, I mean, you write it's written like it's like Ian McEwen has made it up in a novel. But it's is, you know, you finished half bricking in in the studio and you're doing still doing gigs, and you come back from Birmingham one night, where mm. I can't remember where you were. Um, uh, and, and 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 this crash occurs. And the way it's described in the book is phenomenal. I mean, it's you know with your girlfriend, and you were said you know do you could do you mind describing what what how, what happened? To you? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I really described it as it happened.
2: I, I didn't really add or take anything away. That, that, that I, I just tried to put in it every, everything that I thought was pertinent, um, everything I could remember. Um, you know, you know, well, once the crash happened, I, I was in and out of consciousness um, a fair bit. So, so there are things that I was not aware of. Um, and, uh, you, you know, it, it's this incredibly traumatic incident that that really just about destroys the band. I mean, not quite, but al- almost completely destroys us. Um, you know, my girlfriend's killed, uh, our drummer's killed, and we don't really know um, how, how we're going to carry on, uh, how we're going to get the spirit to carry on.
1: Um you were sitting in the front seat, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was in the front seat. Uh, I think I was the only only one actually awake in, in in the van, including the driver. The driver was asleep as well. So, um,
0: and people you know, just didn't um, wear seat belts as a rule, did you? No, did you? no,
2: no. Nobody, nobody wore seat belts. So, uh, you know, it took it took us a long time to to recover from that. I, I mean, in in a true. You know mental sense I think it, it took us years um to really to, to get over the trauma and and you know the, the, you, you didn't go to therapy in those days there was none of that stuff yeah it was good it was good but- kind of post-world war ii where you know yes you've been through this thing but you know stiff up a lip you know carry on chaps you know and and it, it'll all be okay um but we weren't okay. We were kind of broken, really. Well, just, um,
0: just getting in a van again, I would have thought was.
2: It was it was really uh, difficult uh, to, to to just to, to get in a van and drive down the road. It was very hard.
1: Yeah. And you must think of Martin, you know, uh, quite often, really. You know, he's, he's there on the records. He's there in film.
2: Uh, and, uh, and and I'm so delighted that that the people you know have that um, ability to to see Martin, you know, and hear hear Martin play. I mean, that that's his legacy. Is is the three albums that he made with Fairport. And, uh, you know, he was a wonderful human being and a great drummer. And um, it's it's just uh, heartbreaking that, 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 that someone like that should, should be taken away so young.
1: I wouldn't mind batting around a bit this um, kind of folk revival that happened because it's so important. And, and I just, just put in my own personal two pair thing, you may not realize it from the kind of music I ended up making, but it meant <laughs> a lot to me in the in a, in a certain period in my life. 1974, mm. I went to a club quite often every week called the Florence. It was a pub in, off of Upper Street. Hmm. And you went upstairs, and you you saw people with their fingers in their ears. You you know you saw people with accordions, and hmm. and um and I listened to English folk music. And and I found this book today. This I stole from my school library. It's the Oxford Book of Ballads. Oh wow! There's Owen's school library. I'm going to get done for this. They're going to get in touch with me. This <laughs> and and, I, and one of the first things I did as a songwriter as a kid was set these ballads to music. And wow. I had no idea what the music was i didn't read music so um and you know in here i i, I noticed this morning and i remember when, when Legion leaf came out this tamlin is in here and mm-hmm. patrick spence is in here mm, yeah. and it was there was something going on in the air at that time what was it
2: well was it <laughs> well there have been cycles of, of of revivals of british folk music you know it started, started with the victorians with like cecil sharp and and and, and uh yeah. And, and people like Vaughan Williams are uh, going out in the field because they really thought industrialization was going to kill folk music or, or it was going to kill that whole rural way of life. So they were the first ones. Then you had in the 50s, you had, you had uh, Ewan McCall and A.L. Lloyd with, with the Ballad and Blues Club. Um, doing the, uh, you know, the, the kind of more of, you know, specialised um, um, arrangements and, and things of, of traditional song, but, but again, you know, people were out in the fields collecting. Again, they thought it was going like to die out. Yeah, but, Lomax and Shirley Collins were, yeah. were out in the field. Uh, and Fairport were almost part of the third revival, that like the folk rock thing, which was bringing um, traditional music in, into the popular arena, you know, with electric guitars, drums, all that kind of stuff. Um and uh, you know, a constant through all that was probably you know, you know, the folk clubs, which re- really got rolling in 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 the early fifties. Um, probably in the sixties, there were you know at least three hundred, maybe six hundred folk clubs. Um,
1: but there was a certain amount of politics behind it, I guess, as well. It was yeah, about it, 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 working people, wasn't it?
2: It, it was, yeah. Um, there's a very socialist sort of attitude to folk clubs. Are uh, if you were a performer um you, you were are kind of not treated as anything special you know you you were just what just one of the crowd you know who happens the same
0: similar to in the way that the trad jazz scene was very political wasn't it and
2: i think the folk scene was more political than, than okay. the, the trad jazz scene actually uh yeah um it, it was there was, it was a real um you know socialist/communist slash communist, uh, undertone to, to, to the whole thing uh, and and that was the motivation for a lot of songwriters and people saw traditional music as as reflecting you know real working class, class values um you know in some cases true in some cases misguidedly um but but it it was it was a it was a big thing that was an undercurrent really uh, that that ran all through the sixties and seventies. Uh, I mean, they're still going, of course. Uh, it's less political these days, of course. Uh, and there are all, all types of folk clubs. Yeah, you have folk clubs that that were much more singer songwriter. Yeah, yeah. You had real hardcore traditional folk clubs uh, like the Singers Club in Hull, where you you couldn't take in a musical instrument. Just yeah, your yeah. finger I mean, to put in your ear. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, this 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 was your <laughs> this is your your instrument. <laughs> Uh, but, but it, um, you know, it, it's been a sort of a nurturing place for, for so many people as well. You know, it, it was a great place to, to get up for the first time in front of an audience, you know, uh, and sing. So, so people got nurtured in that way. It was, it's a great place for, for people like Billy Connolly, you know, Jasper Carrot, you know, to, to, to get started uh, on a sort of show business career. Because,
0: in fact, didn't you play Well, we are talking about open mic nights? Didn't you do the legendary open mic night in um, L.A. at the Whiskey?
2: uh the yes troubadour,
0: the troubadour.
2: yeah the, the troubadour. yeah um I, th- I think we did a few of those actually uh, over the years yeah uh we, which was extraordinary you, you'd see people like you know peter talk for from the monkeys you know we, we'd do a song and linda ronstad get up and do a song and and uh you know it was, it was yeah, yeah pretty amazing um sort of a high-powered <laughs> kind of open mic night uh, at the Troubadour in those days, Um yeah, Gene Clark might get up and do a song. You know, it's just um, right. extraordinary. Yeah,
1: but there was—I mean, there's obviously a massive contradictions in there. Obviously, you've got you've got people with political ideals that are singing yeah. about people in fields pre-industrial revolution. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really, and and also, you know, dare I say it, it was quite middle class to to certainly in London. What I was, yeah, absolutely was. Yeah. But but with Lesion. Leaf do you think you were trying to invent a genre that would stop us all looking to america uh, for for our music
2: that, i think that was the idea that was absolutely the idea um you know we were a very idealistic band a very thoughtful band um and we were a bunch of, of you know middle class intellectuals really when it comes down to it but, but but we really thought it was time that that uh that, that, that there was this kind of british popular music you know the the, the kinks had kind of gone halfway there you know the, the beatles to some extent had, 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 had gone a bit in that direction as well but um it, it was time to really make a statement which the legion leaf album was and um that statement w- was echoed by bands in scandinavia bands in holland um bands in spain you know who, who did the same thing with, with their tradition so uh it was a very influential record
0: But also because basically the whole folk rock movement in Britain spread out from Fairport Convention, didn't it? It was like all the players who sort of started there, Pentangle. Yeah, all kind of came from you. Well,
2: well, I think so, yeah. And and I think because it was... Quite a small scene and a bit disconnected from the, the mainstream of popular music. Um, you, you'd find yourself in, in, in a band with the same people over and over again. You know, like you'd leave one mm-hmm. band and, and, you, and you, you'd, you'd be in one of the other four bands. You know, there, there weren't that many, so, so you kind of uh,
0: you know revolve through the, the whole the whole scene sometimes. And you have, we have ended up with one of the most sort of enduring festivals there is. Because, you know, we're crop ready. Oh, really?
2: Yeah, it yeah, was extraordinary. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they get, you know, 20,000 people a, on, on a good year and, and, you know, have been going for, you know, years and years and years and years. And years.
1: Yeah, uh, the most
0: terrifying musical experience of my life at Crop Ready.
1: <laughs> what? What was that?
0: I had to get up, having never been in a room with, let alone rehearsed with, the blockheads in front of 20,000 people and play Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick, which is the most difficult thing I've ever played in my life. And I can say, thank God for a folk audience, because they were wonderful.
1: (laughs) Forgiving.
2: It's it's, it's tricky if if you're the bass player. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: Richard, it seems to me that that crash kind of kept on reverberating because you now make this incredible album, but people start to leave, you know, Sandy leaves and Mm. Mm. eventually you leave. Um, I mean, now you've got Swarbrick, and you've you've got the, you're doing this electric jig stuff, which no one has ever done. Reels and jigs and super fast yeah. stuff, It's <laughs> unbelievable. But it still feels like the crash is still reverberating.
2: Yeah, I, I think it affected our decision making a lot. You know, um, yeah, I think we're we, we, in some kind of a disarray, really. I, I don't think uh, that, that Sandy would have left. I don't think Ashley would have left the band uh, if it hadn't been for, for the for the accident really um and, and uh i think i think for a couple of years where we were still you know not not thinking straight
1: but going um, solo was important to you
2: well i think it was you know you know i've been in bands for a long time i've been in bands since i was 12 and, and i think i was just burnt out with the whole band idea and i wanted to get away i think just to write um and you know i left fairpool i, I did a year just as a session guitar player really um in Sandy's band a bit, played in Ian's band, mm-hmm. but that, that left me plenty of time to write. And uh, you know, I wrote the songs that ended up on on my on my first solo record.
0: Because you were a massive session player, when well, you did a lot of sessions. You, yeah, lots and lots and lots. So, yeah, um, but yeah. Um, but then yeah, what's it? Uh, Henry the Human Fly, right? That's the yeah, that's which is a persona that you came up with when you were in Fairport well it was, um, it was just a gag
2: at the start of a show it was a sort of a gag I, 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 apparently i i made an entrance like you know where, where, where i i swung in on a rope onto on stage in in a, in a in a in a superhero costume and um well <laughs> oh, this but, was <laughs> of, of, of which i remember absolutely nothing as 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 as, as happens sometimes um mm-hmm. but um you, you know the, 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 the you know the, the guys from fairport still call me henry though they, they don't call me Richard oh my god
1: oh, wow yeah <laughs> It's it, it. I just wanted to <laughs> get back to one story that 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 made me smile in the book, and it kind of sums up all of you guys and 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 maybe your shyness, really, Richard. It, mm-hmm. Is that when 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 McCartney invites you to his birthday? Oh yeah, <laughs> and you turn it down.
2: Yeah, I know, I know, I know. If, if, if I could have take two on that one, I, I think I'd go. Um... Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I think I thought the Beatles were a bit too pop, you know, and, and, I, and I was obviously a bit of a snob musically. Um, so I thought, well, you know, it's, it's only Paul McCartney. You know, if, if it was, you know, if it was, if it was Dylan, I'd go, you know, if it was some, you know, more of a wordy singer songwriter, I, I, I'd probably go, but...
0: Uh, Why were you invited? <laughs> I don't know. I'm still you know, quite, quite very cult at this point, weren't you?
2: Um, I got invited, Sandy got invited, and, and no one else in the band. I, I think that they were... That's even
0: worse! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is even worse, isn't
2: it? Um, I, I think that there must have been, been you know, going through a list of, of, you know, sort of who's who or who isn't on the <laughs> or you, on you, the London scene. You may have been a snob, but I, I
1: see it more as being fearful of celebrity. Probably also true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What happens to you now is is and it's it's is you you find the Sufi form of 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 Hindu I say of of Islam right Islam
2: yeah
1: you you find that and you you meet Linda That really changed your life i mean you'll take it you, you're you, you still um
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. Richard. Yes, I am. Yeah, I, I still do all, all that stuff. Yeah, for me, looking at the music business, I, I, I see these kind of forks in the road, where, where you say, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to die of an overdose if I go this way," mm. or, or I, I clean up completely and, and I get some, some spiritual value in my life. You know, so for me, it, it was that kind of choice, the kind crash, of stark yes, thing.
1: Part of this, you know, you're trying to process all this, and suddenly you have some clarity here, you have order, because that's what religion gives you. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. when, you know, music business is completely disordered.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I think I, I think I, I needed some kind of um, way to steer through, you know, the shark-infested waters of the music business, if you like. You know, yeah, clarity is a, is, is a good way of putting it. But you know, I wanted um, like some, some connection with the universe. I, I, I wanted to know where I was in it, what my place in it was.
1: Yeah, I know. I've heard you say this about all music being spiritual. And I'm trying to just get the definition of that word because the cynic in me is pulling it down, mm. um, and I want to believe that. And I know, as a writer and as a singer, when when I'm in immersed in a song, I'm I'm not in this room, you know. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. It, it, is that sort of what you mean? It's about finding a higher self? I think so, yeah. And, and I think the way you find a higher
2: self is by losing yourself. You know? So when you lose yourself in music, you, you, you become a part of this greater thing, this sort of semi-conscious part of this greater thing. Your ego gets suppressed a bit somehow, and, and, uh, and, and you kind of open up and, and, and you, you feel all these connections. You know, how, how do you describe music? I mean, music's so elusive you know you, you, you can't grasp it, you can't get hold of it you, 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 you can't paint it you, you, you can't you know stick it in a box or something you, you can't, can't hold it. it in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this stuff that, that's kind of out there and drifting around and uh, you know it, it, in, in that way it, it's the closest to to, um, to escaping you know the earth if you like you know escaping earth, the earth and earthly values.
1: What do you think the secret is to the, the that album you made with Linda, you know, uh, I want to see the bright lights. I mean, is that, what is, what is it that makes that? Cause I love that album. You know, yeah. it's always in people's often in people's top 10 best albums. Mm. Was- um,
2: I don't know. I think sometimes you just get lucky. I, I think that's all it is. You, you know, sometimes that, you know, the stars line up and, and you go in the studio and everything works and um, you know, the the tracks go down easily. Um you know, you know, you know, struggling for, for days to 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 get you know, a good rhythm track or something. Everything just worked the first time, and I, I think the songs were were good. Um, he said modestly, and I think the the uh, the performances are good. Um, and everything we tried worked. You know, all the people that we, we brought into the record, you know, like Crumhorn players, and 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 you know, the, and the, the silver
0: the, band. You said because you the does, in band, the book yeah. you say silver band rather than brass band.
2: That yeah um I mean it's a minor distinction but but um you, you know you know they, they usually call um you know like works bands like colliery bands mm-hmm. or, or steel works bands are uh, usually silver bands because they're playing you know silver instruments rather than right. brass instruments um but that has yeah. a mournful sound to that as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah there's this real mournful, nostalgic sound to it, which is
0: kind of wonderful. Um, Although, actually, on that song, it's actually very bright and up-sounding, that band. It, it, it's yeah, not it, the downness one associates with a brass band, you know. It's
2: bright and up-sounding with, with a tinge of melancholy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a way, I hate to say this, because this sounds flippant, but um, that you were kind of the... Uh, the, the lindsay and stevie of uh, of england were not you <laughs> at that point there was oh, and i mean that in a good way i mean there no, was that's, a brilliant. that's brilliant on the record and i think having a glimpse into the relationship made it made it real you know yeah um well,
2: course, it's a, yeah. I mean, it's funny because you, you don't necessarily think you're writing songs about about your relationship, especially mm-hmm. if you're a a performing couple, you know, because uh, that would be too naked and and too <laughs> too uh, self conscious, really. So, so you, you just write these songs and you think, oh, that that's a kind of love song, you know, it's just that's a song of loss, you know, blah blah blah. But you don't you don't think it's about you, so. so um, uh, yeah, I, I, wish, I wish we had the the uh, the, the financial uh, re- recompense of of, uh, of Lindsay and Stevie. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> by the time you get to uh, shoot out the lights, I mean that makes rumors seem just like a little <laughs> t- corner. <laughs> <doesn't it? laughs> I, I mean, you know, I mean, listen, it's it, it's a great record, and you had a, it was a struggle to get it out. I know, but but you stop in the book and you don't describe what you know historically is now known as the tour from hell you don't describe oh, that yeah. it, does that feel just too personal richard when you and you, you and linda go on tour and and she's having to sing songs that you've written about the, your relationship failing
2: yeah i mean it's it's also bizarre isn't it um well uh, you know um i wanted to stop in 75 because you know i i i, um, I thought 76 not that interesting 77 to 80 not that interesting uh, um and if i was going to pick it up again it would be an 81 with the tour from hell uh, do I have the, the stomach for writing that? I don't know. Maybe someone else should write it, or I I, I could write it, I suppose. Or Linda. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah. Um. <laughs> perhaps we'll, we'll write it jointly or something. Um. <laughs> but um. Yeah. I, I mean, but, but but you know, if if you like it, in you know, in my career, that that's the next interesting point is eighty one. Uh. But but then from then on, things things spread out. You know. Um. The reason I, I was happy to write about 67 to 75 is it, it, such a, a compressed time period. And so much mm-hmm. happened in that period, it seems, you know, like six, 69, we had like three albums out. I mean, how, how'd you do yeah, that? Yeah,
0: I know that was, that, that is an insane, thing. how did that even happen? What, I, I what, don't know,
2: it's nuts, you know. Yeah. Um, well, we just recorded all the time, I think, basically. Um, so, um, you, you know, the, if, if I did another volume, it would take like 20 years to, to, to have the same number of pages, if, if, in a sense, you know, uh, because just the first time you do something, um, you, you know, everything's very alive and, and you're, you're very awake to it. You know, the, the 15th time you're you, you playing Scunthorpe, you think, well, you know, well what am I going to write about? But, the, you know, the first time, you know, things happened and, and you remember it. Um, if I, I do remember the first time playing at Scunthorpe, not, not being able to get into the venue because I didn't have a tie on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but I'm performing this evening. I don't care who you are. Sorry, I don't, you haven't got a tie on.
1: You're, you're, not, you're not getting in here. You find your voice in the end, which is this wonderful baritone. But you sing in an accent that I—it is not, it's difficult to discern it, but it is definitely English, British-sounding yeah. accent. Yeah. There's elements of the north of England in there. there there's certainly, elements of where you grew up in London. That—that's all in this vocal. You go to America to live again, and or to live, and allow American. American music to come back into your life, but filtering it through these things that you've you've discovered about British folk music. Yeah, well, well I think uh,
2: you know the, the aim of Fairport was always to be something of a synthesis. Uh, you know, to take elements from rock music uh, and to put the traditional stuff into that as well. Um, so, so you know, we were always but there's all a little bit of you know uh, American style in in the drumming. You know that there's there's always, there's always the backbeat there. You know as opposed to you know, a Scottish dance band drama. We, we also, must it, be. because
0: magnificent rhythm section, always a-
2: absolutely fantastic. I Magnificently, yeah, magnificent. yeah. Um, yeah um, I, I'm I'm privileged yeah. to, to have, 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 uh, have worked. You know, my whole life with with exceptional musicians.
1: Yeah, because Maddox is is Maddox the, and Peg, really, incredible. incredible, incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely yeah absolutely
2: they are re- really great, great musicians, and and um, you know, I'm am so lucky to to have. Uh, to have to, to fallen in with musicians uh, with, with such great, um, you know, first of all technique, but then feel, you know, just really great feel, mm. uh, which is a rare thing.
1: Tell us about your songwriting, Richard, because as I said at the beginning, you know, you're, you're, you're very light and jovial and witty and, and, mm. and all those things that maybe you weren't when you were a younger man and maybe you were a lot shy, but your music can go to places that, you know, is incredibly dark. Yeah. Is that you, or is that something that that is in subconsciously you that you you dig deep for when you're writing? I think it's a matter of digging. Um,
2: no, but I've always been a kind of optimistic art person, uh, even when I was a kid. Um, surprisingly, I, you know, I wasn't a depressed teenager. I like to think I was, but I actually wasn't. Um, and uh, I think as a writer, sometimes you, you do have to dig deep, 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 deep to to find that place where. Um, the, 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 this human commonality. So, so that when you sing a song from that place, uh, other people in the audience can say, oh, I've been there, or, you know, that that, sp- that speaks for me. Um, to, to me, that's a very important thing, is to be able to communicate, you know, humanity to, to other human beings. If the music seems a little dark, I mean, that, that's, that's just the tradition I come out of. I mean, you look at all those ballads, you know, those traditional Scottish ballads, and it's kind of dark mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Always there's someone like,
1: getting killed, wasn't there? Right? Yeah, yeah there's always worried. somebody getting killed. You know. she's just... always
0: burying him by the roadside. Isn't she? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> always, all the time. Yeah, uh, um, yeah so, so, so the, the, the,
2: that's just you know the, the kind of language that I grew up with. You know, it, it's it's like um, you know if, if you if you grew up with with the Luvin brothers in America, that you, you'd you'd probably be expressing. The kind of the, you know, the darker side of country music, I mean, it's it's just uh, it's a thing, but but um, it doesn't mean people don't like it, 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 it people appreciate it. Yeah, um, when you sing those songs, people um uh c- can really empathize uh, yeah, with, we, with what you're singing about
1: we, yeah. because we live life most of life in denial, and at times with art mm-hmm. and the communication of, of that, we we we, we think, oh, I'm not the only one feeling weird about this. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah but, but that, you know that isn't to say that the music shouldn't should not also be uplifting and, and uh joyous yeah. and, and have lots of choruses I mean really you know um and if if I could write more of those I'd be very happy to.
1: But it's you. been a, a massive pleasure an yeah, honor really. to talk to you
2: Absolute honour for me, too. Thank you so much, really. Um, uh, just uh, yeah, It's so nice to, to, to meet you both uh, virtually and hopefully one day in the flesh.
1: Oh, that was fantastic. I mean, I'm slightly fallen in love with him in that last hour. He's, he's such a nice guy, isn't he? Yeah, I'm afraid it showed, Gary. Uh, <laughs> a little awkward. Um, yeah, you, you know, I'll, I'll just, send an email, I'll clear everything up. Me and you are just going to end up like Richard and Linda ended up. I'm, I'm going to get out of it. <laughs> I'm going to go and make a divorce album about you, guy. Yeah, the next year's sources is going to be the tour from hell. <laughs> uh, you know, follow that, as they say. Um, yeah. Thank you for everyone who's been so kind uh, about our show on the internet and met, left nice things.
0: Yes, and thank you for listening. Keep listening. Thank you to Ben. And uh, we'll be back with someone. hopefully as brilliant yes yes and it's good night from me and good night from her